The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITO Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITO Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITO coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The agents at Blue Pineapple Travel love to help people plan their travel. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Whether you're looking for relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group, inside the U.S. or abroad, they are there to match you to the trip for you. Blue Pineapple Travel will help you curate all of the travel information out there to create the exact vacation that you want. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by SlayRx. You can find them at www.slayrx.com. SlayRx is a sports nutrition company that makes products for athletes, team sports, and anyone that trains or works outdoors. SlayRx was founded by an endurance athlete and University of Georgia food scientist who was unhappy with the choices he was offered on course in long course triathlons. He started making his own mixes and now you can enjoy those same mixes. SlayRx offers differing levels of electrolytes in their hydration products and you can get them with or without calories. You can either take their online test at SlayerX.com or you can be tested in their laboratory to determine the exact amount of liquid and electrolytes that you need to be consuming while racing. In addition to hydration products, SlayerX offers fueling products like their product Diesel, which is available with or without the optimum level of caffeine that is scientifically proven to legally enhance performance while limiting GI upset and diuretic impact. If you're looking for alternative gels, try SlayerX Spark Plug, a Pop Rocks-like powder that combines the same electrolytes that are in their other products, encapsulated caffeine, and quickly absorbed carbohydrates. It comes in a plastic tube so it can be carried while running, and it will work to enhance and fuel your alertness, general happiness, and performance. Remember, tell them the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast sent you by using the coupon code PLEASANT2020 at checkout on their website, and you'll get 10% off anything you purchase there. That's SlayerX.com, Pleasant2020. Test, don't guess, with SlayerX. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast possible. Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slayer X. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. My name is Michelle Frank, and I'm an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. Michelle and I are socially distanced. Alas, Patrick couldn't be with us today, but Michelle is podcasting from... My closet. <laughs> right on, from your closet. There's like this, this movement of people podcasting from their po- closet, and, and Michelle is, is not one to miss a trend. I just... Don't like the way the audio has been sounding the last few weeks. So I thought maybe coming into a smaller space might help my end of the audio. You the sound ir- great. We the, don't the, sound so good. 
Okay, well, that's good. So the, the irony of it is like right when you said that, there was some sort of quirk in the audio and you're just going to hear it. So it's going to be kind of hilarious and, and really ironic. So i um, glad you're with us, Michelle. And Michelle and I are going to talk about a couple of things related to the news because how can we not talk about the news when Michelle is here? And, and in addition, we are going to bring you a few more things that are making us happy, that, that bring us joy, uh, that will hopefully bring you joy during the, uh, the COVID-19 quarantining that's currently still going on. Uh, and probably be what will be for at least a little while more. First thing we should say though, um, Michelle, did you see the article from the new uh, virtual Ironman triathlon from, I guess it was last week? The article or the video that I want to talk about? <laughs> so what video do you want to talk about? The Tim and Rennie show. Oh, that was actually one of the things you wanted to talk about? Yeah, you just oh, wrote okay. it. <laughs> my bad, my bad. We'll, we'll circle back around to it here in just a minute. Well, let's talk about a couple other pieces of news real quick first. The the uh, Boston Marathon announced that they were going to be be uh, postponing the race, of course, until September 14th. As we all know, they made a special uh, holiday in Massachusetts for it, solely for the race itself. Uh, but then they actually sent out an email last week that said, if you don't want to take part in the race, you can actually get a refund for the Boston Marathon uh, if you don't think you're going to be going here on September 14th. So uh, you're still planning to go, right, Michelle? I'm still planning to go. And I think I'm pr was pretty surprised by that email. Um, Me too. This close to the race, I would think that most of the entry fee that we've all paid is, you know, already been spent. And mm -hmm. I think there's been a lot of kickback with race directors, you know, understandably so, not able to refund entry fees for the hundreds of races that have been canceled and will be canceled over the next few months. And here comes the Boston Athletic Association with this email that just says, hey, if you can't run and you want your money back, just let us know and we'll refund it. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of in a league of their own for that. I guess mm -hmm. they've got enough stature that they can do that. But mm -hmm. no, I filled out that survey pretty quickly and said, uh, I'm planning to be there in September. So right on. I don't right want on. my money back. I want to run the race. Right on. I, I filled it out and said, I want my money back um, because because for me that's the same weekend now as the Blue Ridge Relay and since I'm already committed to run the Blue Ridge Relay with a bunch of other people then then I can't do the Blue Ridge Relay and then do, turn around and do the Boston Marathon even though that would be a pretty epic weekend if I did you know Friday and Saturday and then did the Blue Ridge Relay or the Boston Marathon on Monday that would be quite the thing to podcast about I would say but but I don't think I'm going to do that this time. <laughs> I mean the way you ran the Blue Ridge Relay last year did you run a marathon the next day. <laughs> Point taken. No is the answer to that question. Definitely not. I plan to run the Blue Ridge Relay in a much wiser way this year. Um, but uh, but yeah, the, the Blue Ridge Relay, for their part, as a matter of fact, sent out an email just this past week, which said that, that given the fact that not everybody has signed up yet, they didn't feel like it would be fair for them not to offer refunds as well. And so they said, we're going to try and have the race, but if we can't have the race, we're going to try and have it in October. They said, we're, we're only going to delay it for like a month if we, if we have to delay it. They said, but if we flat can't have it, then you can either have a, you can have a refund, we'll try and do some sort of virtual race, or if you want, um, you can just donate the money. And everybody on my team, based on what we said you know, on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, or at least for the reasons that, that we cited on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, said, um, no, we'll consider it an in-kind donation. That, that We'll just give money to, to the Blue Ridge Relay Foundation so that they can put on the race bigger and better next year. Um, but hopefully it won't come to that because that's the next race on my calendar, so we'll see. Hope we'll not. see. So on a similar note, the Big Sur Marathon um, announced today that they are now changing their date to uh, November 15th. 
That's so interesting. I do wonder if we're going to see a return to fall racing when the weather is still a little bit warmer around the nation. And then if the fears that the coronavirus kind of comes back with a vengeance once the weather turns cold again, October and November, if we're going to have a whole other round of cancellations, you know, are we going to go back and then we're going to be forced to pull the races again? I think it's just going to be a really interesting late summer, um, mm -hmm. early fall and see how that pans out. So, but running Big Sur in the fall just almost seems as strange as running Boston in September. I don't know. There's just these marathons that are only supposed to take place in certain months. So yeah. I guess that's all uh, changing this year. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And you remember last year on this podcast, we talked to Zuma Yamashita, who talked about how she did the Boston to Big Sur challenge, which given, given the year is usually either one week or two week apart. And you right. run both those marathons. This year, the Boston to Big Sur challenge is still in place, but it's 61 days apart. <laughs> yeah, that's not really a challenge. <laughs> so, so yeah, not quite the same. Not quite the same, but, you know, we'll no. see. We'll see. Um, and then the Peachtree Road Race, I thought was kind of interesting as well. So as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago on, the, on this podcast, the Peachtree Road Race is really kind of vying to, to be the first big mass participation event that happens on July 4th. And um, you know, they haven't said that expressly, but, but I think that's very much what they want. Interestingly, they opened up the lottery just at the same time period that they always do in the second half of March, the last couple of weeks of March, and then they were they they try and accept as many people as they can through their lottery. They actually had fewer applicants in their lottery this year than they actually have spaces in the race. Yeah, um, there's space for sixty thousand runners, and I believe only forty five thousand people are entered and accepted so far. So they were going to do another round of registration closer to the race. Do you know if that's going to be another lottery or if that's just going to be a first come first serve or have they announced that? They haven't said anything about it because they, because they, they want to make sure, and this is understandable. They want to make sure they're actually going to have the race before they actually open it up to even more registrants. Um, yeah. So, so there was a line in the, the email they sent us, congratulations, all of you are into the race. And, and, and it said <laughs> in the event that we end up having the race or, or if it appears the race is in fact going to happen, then, then we will open up for another round of registration which is pretty cool. Yeah. I would, pretty cool. Didn't, I, I don't know. Something felt strange about getting those emails about registering for the race um, and all the hype surrounding it, right? As we went into kind of a work from home, mm -hmm. um, you know, to the shelter in place. But I would think if you're the Atlanta track club, you really need this race to happen in July. Mm -hmm. You need the revenue <laughs> <laughs> from the Olympic trials this past year and just right. general, um, you know, enthusiasm for the sport and everyone gets a chance to get back out there and be together and run. But it does seem, I mean, if you think about the starting corrals at the Peachtree, you know, all 30, 40 of them and how close together people are, it does seem almost terrifying to me that mm -hmm. we might be back to that by July 4th. It's hard, it's, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to believe. I mean, one, one of my big things that I've thought about a lot over the course of just the past month since we've been alone so much or with, with such a small group of people, i.e. my family, and that's it so much. Um, and since I've been connecting to people like you online and, and via Zoom and stuff like that, one of the big things that I've really taken away from is how, how much of my life is in crowds. Yes. You know what I mean? And, and I, I just had never really put that together. But I mean, I tend to, to go supervise student teachers in really, really crowded 2,500 to 3,500 student high schools. And I tend to run races that are in big crowds, if not massive crowds, you know? Right. Um, I, I, you know, I never really put together how much of my life I spend just in very close proximity to a whole lot of other people um, until, of course, the last month when I'm not doing that at all. Um, right. 
I don't see everything just going right back to how it was, no. which is why I'm skeptical about the Peachtree being run in July. Heck, I'm skeptical about the <laughs> World Marathon major starting with Boston in September even happening. But I do think there's just going to be a difference um, mm -hmm. to the way that we congregate in big crowds. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I agree. I agree. We will see. So let's talk about the uh, the, the the fun stuff, the, the things that's bringing us joy. I almost spoiled one of yours there because I thought that we were going to talk about it as a piece of news. And instead, it's actually one of the things that's bringing you joy, which is understandable because it's kind of <laughs> hilarious. Tell us what happened. Sure. So um, I'm a big fan of the Tim and Rennie show. So Miranda Carpenter, <laughs> the, the triathlete. And she participated in the Ironman, the first virtual race, which was last week. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's a, it was a 5K swim, a 90K ride, and then a half marathon. Mm -hmm. And they could do it at any point in time, kind of from a Friday to Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, and she was on her ride, the 90K ride, and she was about 45K into it, pushing mm -hmm. really hard. And there was only three other pro women in her ride, but she was up in second. And Tim kind of came in and came on camera and brought some of her old Ironman trophies as, you know, like motivation. Um, and he wanted everyone to see him on the video. He didn't just want people to see the back of him, you know, holding these Ironman statue trophies. So he walked around the back of her bike and to the other side of her bike just to try to get his face on camera with the trophies. And then all of a sudden she loses her whole computer screen. So she's like hardcore into this race. Um, and he pulled the plug. He mm -hmm. basically walked over the plug and pulled it out of the wall. And uh, Rennie's virtual race was over. So that was kind of shocking, kind of funny. Uh, you know, it's good that there was nothing really at stake, no money, no actual prizes. Because um, I think she was able to just kind of laugh it off. But I think it actually made me gave me some fuel to my fire for another reason why I don't want to do a virtual race <laughs> you could lose everything the power could go out someone could trip the cord on the treadmill or the trainer mm -hmm. or whatever mm -hmm. um so yeah that's a, about a six minute episode on their show on their youtube channel and it's it's worth watching I don't know it's, it's a good laugh is their youtube channel called the Tim and Rennie show Heck yeah, it is. <laughs> all right, cool. I'll have to check it out. So yeah, the funniest thing about this to me was that all the headlines said things like triathlete loses race when husband trips over cord. Oh yeah. I mean, she, that was a headline on every, I mean, I'm right. sure there's even triathlon and cycling publications that I don't even know exist that that headlined, but everything I do know exists, that was the headline when it happened. Right. So right. Right. Um, it was great. It was just, you know, I don't know. What, what can you do in this time of you can only do what you can do from your house. And I thought she handled it pretty great. So oh, I thought she handled she it great. Yeah, yeah. Make it up to her with a fancy breakfast and milkshakes and stuff. And <laughs> she seemed pretty happy with that. So, you know. <laughs> right on. No, I totally agree. She handled it well and she didn't give him too hard of a time and stuff like that. But, but yeah, no, to me, the funny thing about it was that they were acting like the two of them are just like a couple of, you know, run of the mill triathletes. When, yeah. You know, she's a multi-time uh, uh, a world Ironman Kona champion, and, and he's finished on the podium in Kona. And so, yeah, it was uh, it, it was funny that they there. It's like, oh yeah, this triathlete, you know. And then you click on it, it's like, oh, it was Tim O'Donnell and Miranda Carfrey. Yeah, it's not so just people. any triathletes. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. But very good. But but as you point out, like they are subject to all the same ridiculous problems that the rest of us are in, in the midst of all of this. So that is yeah, correct. Very, very good. Very good. All right. So speaking of races, I'm going to uh, uh, share a race that uh, last week when we were like trading ideas about different videos and different races that we were suggesting that, that maybe we, we would suggest for all of you. 
Um, one thing that I suggested was the 2010 Chicago Marathon, uh, the men's marathon in 2010 in Chicago. Um, and I want to suggest that you all go and find this. It's just the last five minutes of the race. And if you type in Wanjiro, as in Sammy Wanjiro, uh, 2010 Chicago Marathon, it'll pop right up. Um, and there's lots and lots and lots of different versions of the last five minutes of this race, but all of them basically have the same thing. And it's the race is down to two guys, um, a guy from Ethiopia named Asige Kabedi and a Kenyan named Sammy Wanjiro. Now, Wanjiro is the focus of the video here. Um, he was the Olympic champion in 2008, and then he won the Chicago Marathon in what was then a course record time in like 205.41, I think it was, um, on, the, uh, on the Chicago course there. He went into the 2010 race a little bit out of shape. Um, or at least not as sharp as, as he often was going into to big major races here. Um, and it was fascinating to watch because it comes in just after, um, just after the two-hour mark. And so it's like the last, like I said, five or six minutes of the race. And by all outward appearances, Kebedee is going to win. And when Jiro is kind of like falling off of him, then battles up to catch up with him, then falls off, then battles up to catch up with him, then falls off again. Like literally when Jiro was beaten like five or six times in this race and they make the last turn onto Roosevelt to go up the only hill on that course. And Sammy Wanjiro finally just throws in this massive surge and is able to actually get away from CJ Kebedee um, and, and is able to win the race in 206-24. Um, the reason why it's a great thing to watch, uh, there's two big reasons. Number one is because so often when we watch African runners, particularly marathoners run, they look like so light and airy and easy. And like when we watched Elliot Kipchoge run under two hours, he crossed the finish line. It's like, he looked like he could have kept on running. Not this time. Like when Jiro looked rough, he looked like he was struggling and he crossed the finish line and he's like bent over. And at one point he falls down to his knees and stuff like that to see that level of gutsiness from an Olympic champion and from a course record holder in Chicago, it's inspiring and it's fun to see. And you can see and feel the gutsiness coming through on the video. The other thing that's so fun about it is that one of the color commentators, a guy named Tony Rivas is totally, totally in it. Um, and he's screaming and yelling and losing his voice and it is fascinating and fun, and I definitely recommend that you watch it. It's one of the videos, like I said, along with the other ones I, I, I mentioned last week, that I go back to over and over and over and over and over again. Now, the epilogue of this story, as you probably know, Michelle, is kind of sad. Yeah. So the epilogue of this story is that six months later, Samuel Giro Tested positive? No, was dead. Oh, yeah, 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 sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Would that he test merely tested positive. No, he died six months later. Um, in some sort of, of murky domestic issue, um, he fell from a second or was pushed or was thrown or something from a second store balcony um, at his home in Kenya and died um, by landing headfirst on the ground. Um, and so, you know, this is a guy at the height of his career and he ends up dying, you know, in, in this really sort of mysterious and, and very strange and, and twisted way. And so um, not a happy epilogue there, but again, kind of similar to what we were talking about with Steve Prefontaine last week, it kind of builds that legend so much more around him. You know, you always kind of wonder what Sammy Wayne Jiro could have been um, had it not been for his very untimely death there. Um, so I think that, that, that in that in the video, Tony Rivas, the commentator, says that he's had bigger victories, but this was obviously his, his most impressive one. And so I do, I do suggest you see that. Have you seen it, Michelle? I believe I watched it live when it happened, but I have not watched the video replay. All um, right. All right. But I would like to throw in, I think we had a question 
or a comment about last week's recommendations for videos of marathons that we talked about. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I answered it on the podcast Facebook page, but I do think that they are both can be found the 2018 Boston Marathon and 2017 New York Marathon on NBC, but mm -hmm. they might be behind a paywall. So mm -hmm. if somebody can find them that they aren't behind a paywall, let us know because um, I told everybody to go watch them and it turns out they're pretty hard to find. <laughs> Unless you have a NBC Sports Gold track and field pass, which I do, but I know not everybody does. So Right on, right on. Yeah, so the, the question you're talking about was brought up by one of our listeners that said, said oh, I thought you were going to post the links. And, and I didn't post the links because I just couldn't come up with a really good, solid way of posting the links, but we're going to do that this week. You're going to find out a good, solid way of posting links. We're going to do that. So, so yeah. The but Chicago but Marathon clip should be easy to find because it's just the very end. It is. So I don't it, think that's an issue. It, it is. It is easy to find. I mean, and and mind you, all of these things are easy for me to find because I've watched them so often that I literally like type in W A and it says Wayne Giro 2010 Chicago Marathon and it knows I'm going to be watching that yet again. Um, and so, so all these things are super easy for me to find. But let me encourage you to watch them. You know, 10, 15 times a piece, and then they'll be easy for you to find as well. <laughs> well, I did download the YouTube app today, so I'm getting there. <laughs> right on, right on. So speaking of downloading the YouTube app and speaking of all these things that are difficult or not too difficult, or speaking of the things that when I just barely type stuff, they totally pop up in my YouTube and populate the search bar. Have you watched the Prince video yet? I did watch the Prince video. I just, I don't know anything about music or Prince or the Beatles. I mean, I know about the Beatles, but I just, I feel like we have a very different, um, relationship with the video. I don't even know what I would call it. Like, it's just a video to me. I don't, it doesn't mean anything to me, the people in it, the music, okay, I can't but, but, figure but, out the video. But, but just by watching Prince alone, were you not impressed with the way he could play? I mean, is in you didn't know he could play the guitar like that? Kind of, yeah. I don't, I don't know that Prince, like, I don't know that. I, don't, I know a lot of random things. I just, I don't know music. I don't, did like. You, did, did you, did you like when he took the guitar when he was finished and just threw it over his head and walked away? I mean, yes, you did. You're speechless sure. about it. I'm going to sure, take I was, it. Yeah, I was speechless. I'm going to take it. I, I am going to read you a text that came in from one of our listeners that said, Thank you for plugging while my guitar gently weeps. That was amazing. I'm a huge Beatles fan and had no idea Prince could play the guitar like that. Incredible. That's what it says. See, those are the people that we need to have on the podcast to talk about the Prince video. Actually, this was from Erin Weddy, and she has been on the podcast before. But she also says, and it was appropriate to watch today. She watched it on Friday um, as the Beatles officially broke up on April 10th, 1970. Tear face. Yeah. I was so thankful that you shared that text with us, with me so, and Patrick. So strangely, you didn't respond though. So spe <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of YouTube videos, I, I think you wanted to point out a YouTube video for everybody to watch as well, right? I did. Um, there is a Monday newsletter called Fast Women that I highly recommend everybody <clears throat> subscribe too. to. Um, Me George too. George loves it. It's actually, it's phenomenal. You don't have to be a woman. You don't have to be fast. It's just a great recap of what's going on in the running world. And she always has a section on things that are making her laugh or things that she enjoys. Um, and Bowerman Track Club did a commentary of the 2007 high school boys two mile championship. Um, so there are three current members of the Bowerman Track Club, Matt Centrowitz, um, Evan Yeager, and Eric Keith. Keith, right. I don't know. Why do I want to call him Garrett Heath? Anyway, so, um, and they competed 
in this two mile race 13 years ago and it was the high school championship and they went back and they talked about what it was like leading up to that race as such young athletes. And then they had the whole, um, it's less than nine minutes, the races, but they basically walked us through what was going on each lap and what they were thinking. And, um, you know, when Matt Centrowitz made his move with about 700 meters to go, maybe almost 800, um, Maybe it was even the last lap, just 400. I don't know, but no, when it was you more watch than that. that it, was, it was more than that. And it was, it, was, it was another guy who made the move. It was Chris Springer, I want to say his yeah, name Yeah, but was. When, when did Centrowitz make the move? The last lap at the bell lap? So, yeah, I think it was in the last okay. 400 is when he moved past. Yeah, yeah, and they ran the last 800 in like 158 or something. I mean, mm-hmm. it was crazy. They were mm-hmm. running 67, you know, they were running 67s pretty consistently, and then they just dropped the hammer on the last two laps. So... I can see if you go back and if you look at that video and go back to the 1500 meter men's final from Rio, you see the same, like you see the same type of athlete in Centrowitz, but you see it, you know, from when he was a child to a decade later, how he matured through the sport. So, um, and, you know, I think everyone loves to watch Evan Steeplechase and it was just a great, I don't know, they're all still there. They're all still running. I always love it when, you know, somebody's, a high school prodigy and they stay in the sport um, and have a successful professional career. So it's about a 23 minute video on YouTube. It's totally worth watching if you want to geek out over that stuff. Um, I enjoyed it. So I shared I it with too. you. You enjoyed it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I, w- I watched it on Friday night because <laughs> <laughs> nothing says, says quarantine like Friday night. My wife was, was in a, having an industry party and by which I mean, they literally had hired a DJ and had this big Zoom party with like 50 different people and they're all dancing around on Zoom. And, oh and so, so I joined her for a little while for that. And then I went and I watched the, uh, the video that you had sent me from the Bowerman Track Club guys. So, so a couple of things I thought, that I thought about that were kind of fun. Um, so Matt Centrowitz, the guy who you said, like, as you said, who won the 1500 gold medal, uh, medal in Rio in 2016, he won the race in 841.5. Um, and they, they, he did it by kind of sitting back because he was a miler. He was a, and he still is a miler. Um, but he wanted to try and run a good two miles. And so he, uh, he did it by sitting back and then out kicking everybody. And they ran the last 800 there, like you said, in 158. Evan Yeager said that that, that race was such an eye-opening moment for him because he had never run against people who were that fast. He said right. he had always so, run against people who, who basically he could beat. They were pretty right. good runners, but, but he was better than they were. But he, he, he didn't know that it, that it was possible for a 17-year-old or 18-year-old to run the last 800 meters of a two-mile race in under two minutes, um, which I yeah, think- I thought was- an interesting point, um, you know, Matt Centrowitz's father is a, a famous coach mm-hmm. and he was mostly coached by his father at mm-hmm. that time and throughout high school. Um, and I thought it was interesting because whereas the other guys in the race were sort of just balls to the wall running and didn't, you know, they both said they didn't really know much about racing or tactics or anything, especially over a two mile race. Um, Matt was, you know, he executed carefully. Um, yeah. He told us that there was one point in the race where he was ready to go and he heard his father, yeah. you know, from the sidelines, just say, sit, sit, sit. Mm-hmm. Um, and how he raced in that race is, is really how he still races today. I mean, you don't Mm -hmm. see him take it out fast. You don't see him lead much. You see him just kind of sit and wait and then kick. So Mm -hmm. yeah, two miles is a lot for him. I mean, we don't really, we don't see him go that distance very much, even though I do think we're going to see him progress to longer distances as he gets further into his career and towards the end of his career. But, um, just that whole, you know, learning race tactics and sitting and kicking, I thought that was great. 
Um, yeah, and Evan was very much like he had never run like that in his whole life. And, you know, they made the comment that in 2007, a boys high school two mile race going under nine minutes, it wasn't like that's what the freshmen in high school are doing. Like that was a big deal to run it. Sidgwood says, says this is before everybody and their mom was running under nine minutes. Yeah. This is actually a quotation. So, yeah. <laughs> So. Yeah, so that kind of also shows you how much the sport has progressed just over mm -hmm. the last 10 years, um, mm -hmm. especially at the high school level. So mm -hmm. I just thought it was a great, I mean, you can tell these guys were gearing up, you know, for an outdoor track season and Olympic trials and the Olympics. And they probably are going to start this video series now and go back and look at times that they raced each other and what they mm -hmm. were thinking could be great for, you know, even high schoolers to watch. So for sure. I like <laughs> for sure. Okay. And on that note too, that makes me think about a couple of other things. So, so just the things that were sort of my takeaways from watching it, one, like thinking about Matt Centrowitz, I see you pointed at your watch, thinking about Matt Centrowitz is like the, the champion that he ultimately became, the Olympic champion that he ultimately became. They're reflecting on the race and Evan Yeager, who is also like, what's, did Evan Yeager finish on the podium? He didn't finish on the podium in the Olympics, but he finished on the podium in the world championships, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, but he's also a world level medalist as well. And so, so it's not like he's some slouch, you know, it's not like he's merely the best in the United States. He's one of the best in the world. But right. One of the things that stood out to me was, was how much more encyclopedic Matt Centrowitz's recollection of that night and that race and all the people in it was than Evan Yeager's. And I, right. I, don't, I don't know if I'm overreading something or overanalyzing that, but the fact that Matt Centrowitz had that level of, of, not only understanding at the time, but also recall of that race 13 years later. I don't know, maybe that's the difference between you know, being a world medalist and a world champion um, that, that Centrowitz has, you know, that, that, that's that level of, of, of analysis and he does that much thinking about it. I don't know. Um, that was one thing. Go ahead. I do think, sorry, I think Evan didn't medal in, in London in 2012, but he was the silver medalist in Rio in 2016. Okay, there you go. Sorry. There you go. So, yeah, but I also think it just shows um, they're just such different runners, even though they're both, mm -hmm. you know, world class in their event, um, the way that they process and the way that they race, you can both be the top at what you do, but just get there through totally different means. Um, that's, so. prob that's probably, that's probably a fairer and probably a, a, a more reasonable conclusion to draw. <laughs> I also, um, just a little bit of insight maybe i don't know if it's gossip from the video but it's a known thing now that matt centrowitz and shelby houlihan are kind of a couple and you can see her sharing his headphones off to his shoulder in the video i guess off to his right shoulder our left when you watch it so i thought that was kind of cute i don't know no oh, that's <laughs> nice yeah <Aww. laughs> no, i didn't actually i didn't know that at all so that is good to know the you the other thing that. i think is the other thing that i think is interesting about Centrowitz, just in terms of his mindset with what like what, what you were talking about was that he says at the end of the video he said i ran 841.5 and i won the race and to me that was totally cool because i ran the exact same thing that steve prefontaine ran and he said, and he said, in the future, he said, you know, there's going to be hundreds of people that run faster than me. And, and one day I'm going to have like the, the hundredth best time on the list. He said, I don't care about that because I won the race and because I ran right. the same time as Steve Prefontaine. Um, right. and, and I think like that attitude that it doesn't matter, like it matters who wins the race right. and, and these sort of cool things, as opposed to like trying to run the fastest times and, and be the, put away a world record that nobody will ever be able to run again. I think that mindset is very interesting as well. 
I think that mindset is what wins world championship and Olympic mm -hmm. medals on the track. 100% agree. You could run a 10,000 meter race in two minutes slower than a world record, but it's all about how does the race go out? What are the tactics of the other people in the race? And how are you going to respond to those tactics on that day? Absolutely. And you can see, you know, back 13 years ago when he was just a kid, like he, he had the mentality for it. So um, he's fun to watch. I hope, you know, I guess, Tokyo 2021. We'll see them out there. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right on. So. Right on. Very good. Very good. All right. So I'm going to be switching it up a little bit here. So still talking about a YouTube video, but getting away from running and endurance sports a little bit. I'm going to encourage everybody to go out and look at the 2009 video that's posted by the White House on the White House YouTube page of when Lin-Manuel Miranda first showed up and shared the beginnings of Hamilton with the world. Have you watched this before? You've seen Probably Hamilton. I saw, I've seen Hamilton one time, but I can't even begin to profess that I know nearly anything about Hamilton compared to you. Okay. Oh, well, so I had Hamilton tickets for yesterday, actually. Oh, Another man. thing that's postponed because of the pandemic. So that's tough. They've been I doing know. some cool stuff on their uh, on their YouTube page and on, on their on their Facebook page. Ham at home. They're 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 hashtagging it. Um, All right. Well, tell us about it. Well, and then, and then, you know, speaking of stuff that they're doing right now, you know that the Some Good News, the SGN that, that John Krasinski's doing right now? No, you don't know that. But so John Krasinski, is, he played Jim on The Office, and he's now Jim Ryan on the Amazon series, uh, or Jack Ryan on the Amazon series. Um, he's married to Emily Blunt, um, and uh, Emily Blunt was Mary Poppins and a few other folks like that. But anyway, so, so uh, he's been doing this YouTube thing where he does some good news. And then on episode two of some good news, like 10 people put it on my Facebook page, um, because 10 minutes into it, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and then all the rest of the inaugural cast come on. And from all of their own individual locations, they sing the opening song from Hamilton. So it was, was it great. In unison? Like did so, they in yell unison. it? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's cool. It's very good. It's very That's good. Cool. And so it's the same people who sing on the album you know, which is cool to watch. Um, right. So anyway, um, Hamilton didn't really hit the stage until like 2014, 2015, right? Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda didn't start writing it until like 2007, 2008. He read Ron Chernow's book, Hamilton, when he was on vacation in Mexico. And he said, this would actually make a pretty good musical. And then he ended up writing first a concept album, or he at least began writing a concept album about it. And the first song he wrote was ultimately the song that became the intro song to the whole thing, the dun 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 right? How does a bastard orphan son of a whore and a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean? Anyway, he, so, so that song, that was the first song that he wrote. And for a while, for like a year, it was the only song that he had. So he was invited, since he was a Tony winner at this point already, for his musical called In the Heights. He was invited in 2009 to a cultural night at the White House, which presidents sometimes do. They invite a whole bunch of cultural people to come in and, and they perform something. They do a poetry reading or a song or something else like that. And so they brought him in to you know, do a piece. And everybody figured he would do something from his Tony Award-winning musical In the Heights. And instead, he got up and said, I'm working on this concept album about somebody that I think embodied hip-hop, the first Treasury Secretary, Alexander Hamilton. And everybody starts laughing. And he goes, you laugh, but... I submit that he embodied hip hop and he talks about how he raised himself up from poverty and uh, all on the power of his words, he was able to become George Washington's right-hand man, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then he literally begins that song um, in the version that it was then in 2009, um, which is just like a one person rap with, the, with, the, uh, with, with uh, Lackamore over on the piano um, and everybody's snapping along and literally people are laughing. Um, 
And because it's hilarious, the idea in 2009 of a hip hop musical or a hip hop song about Alexander Hamilton was, was completely cool. ludicrous. Right. Whereas now it's just like, well, yeah, of course it's Hamilton. But, <laughs> but, but Those then, people aren't laughing anymore. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Nobody's laughing anymore about it. But um, so, so it's, it's fun to watch it because you know ultimately what it became. But it's also fun to watch it because he's so talented and so fantastic. And it's such a pure performance in terms of one guy, one microphone, one piano, and everybody kind of snapping along. So it's, a, it's definitely very fun to watch. And you, and you get to see the, uh, the, the, the artistry and the mastery and the genius of Lin-Manuel Miranda on stage. So, yeah, I very much suggest everybody check that out, too. Cool. Right. So what's your, what's your last one? Uh, my last one is a podcast. Um, Des Linden was on I'll Have Another, episode 240. Um, I think it's worth plugging this on our podcast. It's a kind of probably a little bit of a different audience, but um, I thought it was a great podcast. It was a little bit different from what we usually hear from Des. Uh, she basically just right out of the gun was like, what the heck are you training for? Like you just came in fourth place at the Olympic trials. Now there's no Olympics to even train as an alternate for. You were going to run Boston, but now there's no Boston. Um, so we kind of get an update on what she's planning to do for the fall without mentioning specific races. Although she does hit, hint that the marathon trials and the Boston double this spring was really intriguing to her and the Boston in the fall in September with New York City on its regularly scheduled date in November is a similar back-to-back. -back. So um, she's gonna kind of hopefully make an announcement once things get more finalized soon enough. Um, but she did say, and I thought this was a really interesting idea, that she is going to train for a time trial right now, uh, either an 8K or a 10K. So I thought that that was an interesting idea for maybe how to mix things up for those of us whose spring marathons or spring, you know, summer triathlons, early fall stuff is uh, either been canceled or suspect. Um, seems like a good idea to me. Like I'd way rather do a time trial than a virtual race. Hint, hint. Okay. I was about <laughs> to call you out on that. Virtual race versus time trial. What are we saying is the difference between a virtual race and a time trial here? Well, a time trial is like go to the track by yourself and run a time trial, like do a for real thing, not some computerized thing on an indoor piece of equipment. Oh, ah, okay. I see. Also, I see. yeah, I don't know. Nope. No, okay. So, so actually, you highlight something sort of interesting here, and, and that is that, that in the era in which we're now living, in post March. 2020, the what what we call a virtual race is something different, because 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 before now I had always thought of a virtual race is not is something asynchronous. It's something where where people aren't necessarily all coming together at the same time to run. That yeah, rather everybody that. sort of does their own thing, and then you maybe get a T-shirt and you maybe get a medal and that sort of thing. But right. but you could run a 5K. Like Strava has these challenges every month run a 10K and you run it any time over the course of the month. That's what I've always thought of as a virtual race. But now, and you make a good point, that now when we say the term virtual race, we're actually thinking of a synchronous activity, that everybody's showing up at the same time to actually race potentially in a Zoom environment or, or in Ruby or something like that in order that, that they can all kind of see each other and take part in a virtual race. That's kind of what it feels like to me when you threaten virtual race. <laughs> I don't want to do that. So, um, right. I don't know. I liked her idea of, you know, maybe somebody else out there that sounds good to them is just something to stay motivated, but, mm -hmm. uh, training for a 5k or a 10k when maybe something longer and harder is still on the schedule for the fall and can kind of still accomplish both. Mm -hmm. Um, she talked a little bit about the marathon trials outcome and kind of the emotional, 
uh, processing of that. And then a great part of the podcast, it kind of mostly went into a couple of things to make people's quarantine more fun, um, which actually I want to stop and ask you, is this, are we so, like calling this a quarantine? I mean, is that the term? Cause you're using the same term. Like, I don't, are we actually all quarantined? Like, is that the right word? Because to me, quarantine would be used if you are presumed positive for coronavirus or you tested positive and you really just have to stay like isolated in one room. Mm-hmm. But I don't think of just me in the house with my family or I don't know. I don't think of it as quarantined. I think of it as just shelter at home or something like that. Is it mm-hmm. different? Fair. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm not the right person to ask, even though I, I am someone who, who, as you know, is somebody who believes that terminology very much matters. Yeah. Um, and it's so, so, or does it matter? Like, so, so no, I think I, I, I'm very much a believer that generally speaking, terminology matters. And so, so the fact that I've been using, you know, quarantine in perhaps a, a, an uninformed way is maybe not a good thing, but not at the same time. One thing that I read when when all the shelter in place things were first starting to happen and when social distancing guidelines were beginning to be actually truly enforced um, was that that they were based on the presumption that most of us were positive. Um, right. And Just so 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 effectively, yeah. it's like a mass quarantine that everybody is being quarantined. Um, but the only way that you can actually pull off a mass quarantine is in the sort of voluntary shelter in place CDC guideline way that we're actually going about it. Right. So maybe that was a big off topic, separate, <laughs> separate story, but I don't, I don't, I don't know that I think the way everybody is using the word quarantine is exactly correct. But anyway, um, a couple of things like in kind of, but, we're doing but it sounds like that. she's been, so it sounds like she's been listening to the most pleasant exhaustion podcast. So, so, yes, I'm she's, so actually, sure. she's actually pointing out things that you can do while you're in quarantine or shelter in place or while right. it is that you're, 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 you have a little bit of extra time from not commuting or whatever it happens to be things that actually can bring joy to your life in these otherwise stressful times. Right. So, so specifically we should, we should, on that podcast, we should, that sounds like a great idea. I'll get working on that right after we finish recording. Right on. Um, so she had a couple of Yeah. So she had a couple things that she recommended that um, I just thought I would share to make people's quarantine more fun. And one that we've already kind of done at ITL. Um, so she wanted to make a public open playlist on Spotify called Quarantunes. Um, I happened to have look, looked that up and there's already like half a dozen quarantine playlist and none of them are hers but I thought it was a good idea and um the podcast host Lindsay Hine actually wanted people to send her if they had done something like that or they had links to some type of open playlist like that on Spotify that they liked and like like the playlist that I created a couple weeks ago that you said was not great (laughs) no I sent her my playlist (laughs) from last week nice and she loved it. So I don't know if that'll go anywhere, but um, it was a good playlist. It was a good playlist. About ITL track Tuesday and this is what we were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she also talked about uh, some good books that she had read, Gentlemen in Moscow, um, how it was kind of relevant to what we're all living through right now, just, you know, um, Life of Pi. And then she talked about Hmm. fun games that you could do with just you and your partner or kids um or you know through facetime or zoom with other friends and family um and then just comics that she was enjoying so i thought Com- that comics yeah and then they ended the podcast with with a bunch of great um listener questions 
And one of them was actually Shawana White, who I think a lot of us know from when she raced locally here um, for Atlanta Track Club and Sketchers and all that. So I thought it was a great podcast. It's something different. And I think everyone pretty much appreciates Des almost anytime she's on a podcast. So right on. that made me happy. <laughs> right on. Des Linden on the, the I'll Have Another podcast. Right. All right. Very good. Very good. I will add that to my queue. Um, Michelle is like my personal podcast vetter. Um, and so, <laughs> and so amidst all of the, uh, the, the other podcasts that are out there, um, about endurance sports, she listens to all of them. And then she points out to me, which ones I should actually listen to, which I'll always appreciate. Um, all right. Last one I'll share is a Facebook group. It has about 720,000 members and it's super cool. It's called view from my window. Um, and view from my window is exactly what it sounds like. It's people who are under shelter in place orders all around the world, just going to their back windows and taking a picture of what it is that they're seeing. Um, and it's literally all around the world. Um, and so it's, it's literally just what it sounds like view from my window. Here's the view from my window right now. Um, and I was thinking about it. I was talking about my, to, to my wife about it, why it's so compelling and why it's so interesting. And there's a few different reasons. One of them is because photos are just kind of beautiful. I mean, just, just there are shots of beauty in the world right now. Um, you know, you can see like a sunset in New Zealand. And then there was a guy yesterday who uh, lives on the edge of a wildlife park in South Africa. And so the view out his back window was a bunch of elephants walking by. And there was somebody in Australia that had um, some kangaroos on her back porch. And so the view from her window was these kangaroos that were kind of watching the sunrise and that sort of thing. And so, um, and then you of course have people in big cities and, and you can sort of appreciate some of the beauty of, of some of the classic cities around the world um, from these, uh, the, these photos that people are pointed, uh, posting on there. Um, it's also interesting to see how empty the photos are, <laughs> you know, because you have somebody who's like in Manhattan that says, hey, I live in Manhattan. Here's the, the, the photo from my porch and the streets are empty. Um, Fifth Avenue is like desolate. It's yeah. just the craziest mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's incredible to see that. Normally they would be looking down on hustle, bustle, people everywhere, cars, honking, et cetera, everything else. And it's just empty. It's desolate because everybody's inside. Um, and so it's kind of interesting to see, you know, and it's not just, it's not just American again, it's around the world. And so you can see a picture of Brussels with nobody in it. You get to see the sunset in Italy with, with, um, in Rome and, and, there's no human beings in the pictures. Um, and so it's kind of interesting to see that. Um, but the third thing is that in, in an interesting sort of way, it actually provides a lot of solidarity, a lot of feeling that we're not in this whole shelter in place thing alone, not just here you know, in Georgia, here in the United States, but even around the world, like we're not by ourselves. And it's interesting when you're, when you're part of a movement, usually when you're part of a big group of people who are all cooperating together to try and get something done and to make the world better, usually you get to actually march down the street with those people or meet with those people or shake hands or spend time or go to meetings. And this is literally the opposite of that. Like we're all part of this movement together trying to do this thing that's good for all of us and, and we can't join together to do it. Like literally requires us to separate ourselves from one another. Um, and that's a very kind of contradictory and sort of lonely endeavor. Um, and this kind of helps with that. I mean, I was telling my wife that it, it, it helps me and it helps all of us who are trying to follow these guidelines as closely and as, and as with much, as, as much fidelity as we can. It, it gives a lot of solace to me to know that, that, you know, we as human beings are in this together and we're doing it. And by all accounts, it, it seems to be working. Um, and so that's good. 
um, I strongly suggest you check it out. View from my window, 720,000 members, Facebook group. I joined it a few hours ago, but it was only 715,000. So <laughs> if it's picking up that quickly, then uh, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And, and of course, now that we've plugged it, it's probably be over a million by tomorrow. So we'll see. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. Right on, right on. Michelle, this was fun. A little bit shorter here since it's only two of us, but uh, but I look forward to uh, to checking out the, uh, the I'll Have Another Podcast with Des Linden. Uh, and uh, maybe I'll go back and watch the Bowerman Track Club video once. It was great. <laughs> oh, very good, very good. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thanks, Michelle, for being here. We'll see you next time on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We appreciate you joining us. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. You can find us on Twitter at Pleasant Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. And you can always download our podcast from Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, at Facebook, facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. You can check out Blue Pineapple Travel at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, SlayerX. You can find them at slayerx.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash here4slayerx. That's the number four, here4slayerx. On Instagram at here4slayerx, again the number four, and on Twitter at officialslayrx. Don't forget the discount code PLEASANT2020. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger and Michelle Frank, this is George Darden. We appreciate you joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.